2: This episode contains stories that include sexual coercion and xenophobia. This
3: is Queer Roots & Roots. Stories of where we come from and how we move in the world today.
2: We are a group of people living in London. We're gay or queer and we're mostly men. And some non-binary people who were raised as men. We're all either migrants to the UK and are racialized as being from an ethnic minority. Ill, that's just a crappier way of saying global majority.
4: We all have different experiences and perspectives on the world. Some of us are racialized as
2: black or brown. Some as white. Many of us have experienced racism and xenophobia. Some, some of us, us are gay, gay and, and some, some queer. queer. Some of us move to the UK by
0: ourselves. And some are from an ancestral line that includes migrants. We We all, all,
4: every single one of us, knows what it's like to be seen as other. That
2: is what brings us together. We're part of a community project run by the Love Tank.
4: A not-for-profit community interest company that promotes health and well-being of underserved communities through education, capacity building and research.
2: We wanted to make this podcast to tell our stories of crossing borders, borders of nation states, of gender and sexuality. As a, As a collective. collective. We don't have a boss or a Beyonce. So, every episode of Queer
0: Roots and Roots has a different host and a different set of voices from our group. Our promise to you is that our podcast is
5: gorgeous, gorgeous. Fierce, fierce, super,
1: super gay, gay, and revolutionary.
0: I'm Rad. My pronouns are he, they. I'm hosting this episode, and if I had to sum up my theme, it would be, um, men are trash. I'm joking. Am I, though? So, you know the phrase, there are plenty of fish in the sea. In Poland, we say, Tego kwiatu jest This roughly means half the world is full of this flower. <sighs> but dear God, most of them are just weeds. In the past two weeks, I got heartbroken, I got rejected, I got ghosted, and I got catfished. At this point, my life isn't even real. Like, I live in a telenovela. I just do it for the plot. Like, it's madness out here. (laughs) Right, story time. I gotta tell you about the recent events. So, number one, I said I'm looking for something committed and long term, and he eventually admitted he's going away for four months. So that was a a waste of time. Number two. Cute first date. It just kind of slowly fizzled out. So I asked if he was still up for a second one, which I think is fair. He said, sorry, no, um, but would you still bake something for me? I mean, like the fucking cheek. Number three. He was coming on so strongly right off the bat, but only until we shagged, obviously. And I could really tell his interest was diminishing afterwards. So, you know, slow ghosting and all that. Um, I had just asked about it. He said he's just really busy with work and everything going on and his flatmate's cancer. But that somehow didn't stop him from being online on Grinder, Looking for now. Like, a men okay? a men even okay? Number four. Th- this is it. This is the one. A hinge date. Everything's set up, time and place, and then like an hour before, he just unmatched me. Blocked me, blocked my number, disappeared. Like I was like, what the hell? What just happened? Um, but I saved this picture on my phone and um, did a reverse Google image search and um, it was just it was just a model from Australia. Like I never spoke to that person. I just I just basically got catfished. So he probably didn't even unmatch me. He probably just got banned from hinge and oh, got an absolute trash. For my episode of Queer Roots and Roots, I've picked a range of guys from our group who all have different perspectives on sex and dating, because I'm just trying to find a way through all this. Let's see who wins the failing at dating Olympics. First off, we have Stanley, who's in a cute, happy relationship now, but he told me he's got a poem that I can probably relate to, so come on, Stanley, let's go.
6: Hi, Stanley. Uh, he, him pronouns. 32. And the facts about me: I'm a poet and a writer. I fell in love with a boy who then blocked me on Grinder. Last night, you sent shockwaves through me, and I felt the tremors of three heartbeats that soared through the silence. It cocooned me, where you started. And I began like a constant interwoven thread Upended but still complete Tomorrow I'll marry that boy Delete those apps and move to Clapham. I'll dye my hair, get a French bulldog, a personal trainer Tomorrow he'll block me and I'll be back on those apps again Tomorrow I'll marry that boy Delete those apps and move to Shoreditch Paint myself in tattoos Join a ska band, get a Doberman Tomorrow he'll block me And I'll be back on those apps again Tomorrow I'll marry that boy Delete those apps and move to Notting Hill Take up Pilates, fill my days with brutalist architecture and flower arranging. Tomorrow he'll block me, and I'll be back on those apps again. In a year's time, I wonder if I'll still be heartbroken. Wonder if his absence will still feel like a drought. If the aching will finally cease if the cavity will close by itself wonder if i'll find answers to questions or if i will stop searching for them cradle the hurt let things be the day tastes like unami smells like roasted black coffee or cold halloumi no no it Tastes like stilted goodbyes and quiet yearning An unresolved ending for things left unsaid Like the conversation behind uneasy stares, unuttered words Today, I won't deny my love for you How your loss felt like rejection How your eyes bore holes into me How i still want you with all your conflicts and complications well parts of me do might always do one day we'll find love again i have this warped daydream i'll be your safe space and you'd be my refuge would make a home out of broken hearts and hard lessons paste over our trauma, heal out old wounds, we'd argue, fuck to our heart's content, but be madly, deeply in this. This, I promise you,
0: Ugh, those images of French bulldog in Clapham living in Notting Hill doing pilates and flower arranging. I mean, I mean, I get it. We all make these projections, don't we? Dreams. See, ever since I got my prefrontal cortex, I discovered I want a husband. I want to be a Stepford wife, stay at home, bake cakes, breads, make him homemade jam, pack lunches, iron his shirts and bedsheets, the whole shebang. All I want in return is good sex and some words of affirmation. I mean, that's not too much to ask for, is it? Stanley, I also wonder if I'll ever find answers to my questions or if I'll stop searching for them. It's not about Clapham, though. West Hamster, maybe, but it's not about Clapham. Right, but before I turn this episode into my dream man wish list, let's hear from Xing, who I know has a way with words, so let's see what he's got to tell me about this big mess.
5: I'm Xing, I'm 31. Uh, my pronouns are he, him. I moved to the UK in 2014 from China, so my mother tongue, my first language is Mandarin Chinese, but I also speak English. So dating experience in the uk to me has been quite interesting because at the beginning when i came here uh even though i could speak english uh, i learned english in china but then when i came here uh i had to learn the culture like i had to know what actually people use when they describe certain things and then uh the way that people speak as well so uh this was very new to me when i first came here and then uh, i had to learn a lot of like conventions and then uh, words that people use like for example there was one word used to confuse me a lot i obviously i know what people call raining now right Uh, but, but when i first came here and then people told me this word and then I was like why 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 this is called reaming it doesn't make sense at all but now I mean it makes a little bit sense more than before but yeah you you can say that this was actually a very you know very interesting learning process for me the fact that I can now speak both languages uh, like fluent ways uh, I think it has brought me quite very interesting and sometimes unique experience as well so uh, now uh, i can understand both languages and sometimes i can teach people you know like uh, how to say some words when we are in the bedroom having sex in chinese and then uh, that would actually spice things up, up a little bit in mandarin during sex a lot of people may say that i'm going to make you die (laughs) so this is something uh you would probably hear a lot if you go to watch chinese poems or whatever yeah imagine you wouldn't really say things like that here right because if you do during sex you tell someone that you're gonna kill them then uh, (laughs) suddenly this becomes a horror film (laughs) so this is something that uh has been quite interesting to me because i i now can teach people to use those phrases and then uh, sometimes in chinese as well a lot of people actually appreciate it so that has been quite fun to me come again
0: i said before i like being thrown around in bed but um i do not want to be killed thank you very much
5: after I moved here, uh, after I started to use grand, uh, I started to date people who speak English and, uh, you know, like people uh, who are white here, uh, British here in the UK. Then uh, the more I did that, the more I realized that there was a very uh, unbalanced power dynamics between, you know, like uh, English and uh, British people, people who speak English uh, as you know dominant uh, culture and and as the at at the top of the hierarchy but then uh people like me uh we because we look different we speak uh, a different language and then we have a lot of different cultures sometimes people might use those things to define us and then uh, they would have uh, stereotypes of us and then they they would uh, project their own assumptions onto us as well So for example, I do have some like stereotypical characteristics like I'm smooth, I'm slain, I'm a little bit petite. So those things make people uh, sometimes assume that I'm a very obedient person, I'm a very submissive person, and sometimes they would just simply assume that I'm a aborting as well. So although sometimes this is true, but I do occasionally like do occasionally talk and then i i sometimes i really enjoy being uh being a dorm as well so those things people don't actually say in me and they just use those they just use the, their assumptions and their those stereotypes to to define me to think who i am so that's something has been quite uh frustrating to me really and I have had worse experiences. So, for example, sometimes when I go go on Grindr, and then uh, I would get messages from some older people, and uh, you know, like uh, daddies. I mean, I'm not against the daddies. I, I actually sometimes enjoy like a little bit daddy experience as well. But those one those messages that that I'm seeing are sometimes can be seen quite exp- uh, offensive because uh, they would. Uh, treat me as if I'm their little Asian boy. So basically they are fetishizing me they are like treating me in a certain way that is quite uh, uh humiliating it's very it's basically uh, objectification of myself and uh, I believe this is a lot of people uh, who are experiencing this as well so uh, because of the differences that uh, we might have, and then people think that uh, this is something that they can use to exoticize us, to fetishizing us, and uh, this is something really has been difficult for many of us, I think. However, I, I think sometimes I feel I'm actually a very uh, active person, so I I found a way to empower myself. So when I was young, I used to watch like you know like very uh, different poems, and then you you the the poem industry is actually quite dominated by English speaking uh, you know like companies as well. So 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 I used to watch a lot of English uh, uh, poems, and then I would see it as like quite exotic to me like when i was in china obviously but then i moved here and then it was things were very new to me like having sex in english was very very exciting for me so what what i often think is that uh i'm actually exoticizing white people like i'm exoticizing people who speak english to me uh especially like uh, when we are having sex in the bedroom and i'm actually a very active uh you know (laughs) uh person in the sex so 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 that has changed my experience fundamentally uh, because i just feel uh, rather than being fetishized. I'm actually uh, someone who is uh, exoticizing them and then that has made me feel uh, really empowered sometimes. So that's my story and uh, uh, my experience of you know like being a bilingual person, bilingual uh, queer person. I just want to end to say that uh, language is a very uh, powerful thing. So sometimes we say things because those are only things that we can think of as so a language define sometimes define the way that we think and then uh, a lot of language can be you know like certain words certain expressions can be harmful but there are a lot of ways that we can empower ourselves as well
0: mm, that's very interesting isn't it language definitely defines the way we think about sex and as expressive as it is it can be equally limiting It's been so long since I've had sex in Polish, I don't even think I can be sexy in Polish. Hmm, Perhaps I should do something about this. Maybe maybe I should take a page out of Shing's book and start teaching my partners some Polish. Language is important, but so is clear communication, right? You see, when I met my first boyfriend at uni, at the time it felt like I was in a teenage rom-com, literally. Until it didn't. Towards the end, he said he felt like I never truly opened up to him, like I wasn't letting him in. He was right, and it took me years to get to the bottom of that. I was scared of being vulnerable. I was, I was scared of letting my guard down. And eventually, I got this very strict and direct Eastern European therapist. Oh, I love tough love. And she told me, you're not weaker if you're vulnerable. I got into a relationship again in 2020 and it was very different. Within two months, I was crying in front of him. I did so many cute and emotional things with him that my friends were like, who the fuck are you? And I was being me, the real vulnerable me. And though we're not together anymore, I'm really thankful to him for all he taught me about myself.
4: Next story. This is super short. I'm Tokyo. I am 31, going on 32 very shortly. I am from South Africa. And something interesting about me, um, I'm a chronic overthinker <laughs> and overdoer. Um, yeah, and I talk a lot. Well, I'm Chase, I'm 27, I'm from London. My pronouns are he, him. Interesting fact about me is I blagged my way onto the main stage at Best with Diplo and Major Lazer in 2014 and got to party with them and felt like a rock star for 20 minutes. It was nice. Uh, you are on the tube, home on the platform, and your ideal sexy man is walking towards you. Visually, what does he look like? Is this a safe space? GG. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> say what comes to mind. <laughs> um, no, six foot three and above. I, you said ideal, right? Yeah, I do. I mean. I mean I'm very woke, so I don't like actually putting boxes, <laughs> if I'm being honest. I, I'll own it. Like I know yeah. we're not supposed to we're supposed to be ashamed of I'm actually very woke, so this is ideal, right? Okay, yeah. cool. Ideal six foot three, four, five, six, whatever, up to infinity. Yeah. Um very broad shoulders, very like heavy set. Um dark. And I actually mean dog, not like Southern Europe dog, like actual dog. <laughs> um Everything big, like yeah. I mean, I could go into details, but like we want to keep this, like you know, safe for schools, wholesome. Yeah, yeah, we want to keep it wholesome. Let me, I'll make the rest of the comments offline because I yeah. can be very explicit. So <laughs> okay. I, just, yeah, let me let me control myself. Nice, yeah. nice. Anyway, thank you. Everything big, I'm so dead. Give us the
0: fucking details, Tokyo. I love hearing these stories. I love talking to people about their experiences and desires. It sounds like we've all been through some nightmares, and yet we keep on dreaming. To paraphrase Sophia Alice Baxter, we're not giving up on love. You see, I've had my share of therapy, which by the way, if you can, get it. And one of the many things I've learned is how I love and how I want to be loved. I think I can speak for a lot of Polish people when I say we're not great at expressing our feelings or care through words. We do it through our actions. Our national love language is definitely acts of service. When you're feeling down, I may not know what to say, but I will bake you a cake. I definitely take after my mum. Her name's Mariola. You just have to meet her. Imagine this five foot six serious faced woman with short dark hair. She's constantly busy, always doing ten things at once. She can be very funny, but she does not take any shit. You can tell when she's angry because she's got this stone-cold poker face and only one eyebrow goes up. Mm, it's, It's the silence that kills. She sacrificed so much for me. You know, it wasn't easy being a single mother in a small town in rural Poland. Most of the time we struggled with money, and even though she worked so much, so usually it was just me and my nan. I never met my dad. I think for a long time I had the feeling that I didn't deserve male love, which is pretty shit for a gay kid. Daddy issues? Am I right? I'm I'm quite lucky when it comes to my family because I never actually really had to come out. I have an incredibly supportive mother, um, and I was always just very gay. Um, and I think I didn't really understand that I was I was different. Um, because I was just, again, people that were very close to me just were allowing me to be the way I am, whether it meant, you know, constantly listening to Madonna or wearing skirts around the house or painting my face or dyeing my hair. I just, I was let to do that. And that's why I'm quite glad because of that, because I think that's why... I don't really associate things with being the masculine or feminine or or gay or straight just because I just did them and that that's kind of that. The problem kind of began when you know started going to school and I was I was I was basically bullied for a variety of reasons um like being gay was just kind of one of them you know there was also the fact that we were poor and there was also the fact that I was chubby and there was also the fact that I didn't have a father you know there's there's so many things going on that like just me being gay that was just one in the mix um and so uh, I mean yeah in in middle school it was a bit it was a bit tough because that's when I really properly started to get bullied. I mean, they there was a group of kids in my class and they literally set up a website to bully me openly on it. Um, and there were death threats being sent around. And, um, y- yeah, there was a very organised group of people that were really, really trying to hurt me. Because, I'm going to go back to my mum here, I think because she was just so supportive of me as a person, I always knew everybody else was in the wrong Um, Which I think I'm just so glad about because I've got so many queer friends that don't have that. So they blame themselves for so many things and they think that they're the wrong ones and they try to be different. Whereas this whole time, I just knew I'm better than everybody else. And I just knew that they're wrong for bullying me, even though I had no proof of that. There was nobody in the news telling me that. There was nobody in the media telling me that. There was nothing out there really proving to me that I'm right and that it's okay to be the way I am. But just because I have the supportive mother that was like, oh, you go listen to Madonna, you go put on Kylie, you put her louder. That just kind of made me feel like, you know, it's fine, it'll pass. And she kept saying that. She was like, you know, one day, one day it'll just stop. She was like, don't react, just keep on doing what you're doing and just keep being yourself, which I think is quite beautiful. So thank you to my mum. She's pretty fucking cool, right? God, I can't believe I'm making an episode about sex and dating and I'm out here talking about my mum. I guess it's because as I've learned, it's all about what we experienced growing up that influences how we go out into the world. Right? Alright, next up we have a conversation between Mali and Fausto. I want to know about their experiences of dating and learning about sex and relationships.
3: You're learning to open yourself? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Not not
2: literally. Well, it can be literally. (laughs) My name is Molly. Marley Mior and I'm from London and I love tall, really tall guys. Sky like skyscrapers.
3: <laughs> Hi everyone, my name is Fausto. I'm coming from Venezuela. I've been in London for the last nine years, uh, and I also like tall guys. I realized that okay. this year, such yeah. a coincidence. Wow, um, it's fun to climb them. But- <laughs> I agree. I yeah.
2: agree. I really agree.
3: And they just met for the first time. We are meeting each other today. Yeah. Uh, I don't know anything about you.
2: Yeah, guys, this is the first time us meeting.
3: You don't know anything about me? So I think uh, uh, from your name. Well, do you know how to pronounce it now?
2: Yeah. Fouts Fouts though.
3: No, that's not correct. Oh no. How'd you say it? Mali, I know how to pronounce your name. How do you pronounce my name, please?
2: Fouth yes
3: fausto.
2: wait no i have to read it it's fausto fausto easy fausto do you know what yeah i think i'm overcomplicating it mm. i think when i read it i can say it okay perfect yeah. i like that faster
3: just keep that paper there
2: yeah faster yeah
3: okay <laughs> when you go to a date mm-hmm. what is the first thing you ask to someone <sighs> oh when i go on a date do you remember how it was your first date for example
2: my first date—it was probably very ghetto. Not gonna lie, it was probably a hookup. And probably not even a date. Okay, I can't even remember that far back. Actually,
3: tell me about the one that you remember.
2: I remember. Oh, I remember going to someone's university. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, crazy Anna. And we went to the cinema. Actually, went to the cinema watch Batman versus Superman. They fell asleep. Okay. <laughs> But it was good. It was good. Had some pizza after, like...
3: Were you nervous?
2: A bit, because this was kind of like my first time meeting a guy. Mm. And, yeah, I just didn't know what to expect. Obviously, we spoke a bit, like, through text and on the phone. Yeah, But actually meeting someone face-to-face is a whole different ball game, And... I think when I finally got there, I settled down.
3: What about you? Um, Mine was a bit different. Um, So basically my first official date was with my first official boyfriend, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, So kind of similar, I start meeting guys by hooking up. I think this is just a normal Mm. thing to do at least.
2: Would you say that's how you started like... Your
3: journey into, I think so. I think I think that's how how, how I don't want to stereotype everyone, but how a lot of we us all do. start. Let's, yeah. let's
2: be real. <laughs> that's how a lot of us start. Yeah,
3: and it's it is not a bad thing at all. Like, so I met this guy. Um, we met in this is really random. We met at playing tennis. We were in a kind of tennis academy thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't know we were. I mean, we were not in a place of accepting our sexuality. So I think with the time that we were talking and kind of sharing experiences, we start realizing that we like each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from then, one thing led to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, we start hooking up. And then with the month, uh, we realize we want to start a relationship. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the first date that I have with him was very cheesy. Probably <laughs> Valentine's Day or something like that. Aww. Um but yeah, it was really cute. We were just to eat uh kind of like in a in a coffee and to talk about mm. I don't know our things. We were we were kids. So Oh so you was really young. Yeah, I was like 17, 18. Oh so, my gosh, that yeah. was my age as well. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, my experience
2: was one of my friends at the time in college, she had a mutual friend and he must have saw me on Snapchat and must have added me. And was talking to me in a way where I've never been spoken to by a guy before. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, what is
3: this, What is this way? Sorry.
2: Well, kind of,
3: you know, dropping game,
2: <laughs> and it was very confusing to me because at that time I obviously haven't discovered myself yet. Mm. Um, but I can sure, I'm, I'm sure, people could tell. I was a bit, you know, a bit flamboyant or whatever. Um, But I never really took too much notice of it. I kind of just went about life. Yeah, uh, you were being yourself. yeah, Yeah. And a lot of people got bullied for it when they were younger. I know a lot of people got bullied. But I never, thankfully, never went through that. So it was kind of like an easy ride for me until, yeah, I was messaging them and they were floating me and i just did not know what to do i did not know how to kind of handle it we went to hang out i went to his and yeah he was kind of you know the whole trying to play fight with me and stuff and i was like okay i kind of liked it though i kind Mm. of i'm like oh this is different and then later that year i did um oh am i gay test or am i bisexual test <laughs> online <laughs> so it's so cheesy but um yeah that's when i discovered that i
3: liked men Thanks to the test
2: oh i don't want to give so much credit to the test but it kind of like you know what it it, <clears throat> it made sense like it made a yeah. lot of stuff that Happen maybe like growing up and stuff or how i was it all kind of made sense yeah yeah and then he introduced me to grinder
3: okay <sighs> <laughs> for some reason i thought you were gonna say he introduced me to his friends but no but I, it's fine it's fine i think grinder is an open war for us ooh, to find friends as well
2: i've got a lot of opinions about that
3: oh but wow. that's
2: that's that's for another time that is for another time
0: uh mali so do i you know it sounds like they had fairly okay first experiences mine wasn't exactly great i felt very alone i felt like i had nobody to speak to nobody in my small crap town in poland would understand me so i met this guy online and he ticked all the boxes he was caring he was understanding he was also from a poor family and i think we just really connected And he was pushing me to have sex, and it was my first time. But after we did it, he just disappeared off the surface of the earth. That's not the end of the story, it's it's the beginning. I thought, is this how it's going to be? I give someone something and they just take it away? Then I stumbled across his profile again, but it wasn't him. It was his ex, using his photo to warn people about him. He had proved that essentially he was a criminal with severe mental health issues and that it was possible I had been infected with HIV. He was 25. I was 15. DX told me his thing was Young Virgins. That was all too much. I felt hurt. More importantly, I needed an HIV test, but it was so hard to access and I worried my family would find out. So I waited. I waited until I moved to London when I was 19. I tested negative, and I finally let go of the fear I've carried for four years. I finally felt like I can trust someone again. I get a sexual health test regularly. If you also need a HIV or sexual health test, you can go to the NHS. It's free and confidential. And there's a charity called AIDSMAP. They have an HIV test finder where you can put your postcode and find somewhere to get tested confidentially. I'll put a link in the episode notes. Let's go back to Faust and Mali because it's a cute conversation.
2: But I went on Grindr, you know, then saw some guys I liked.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and yeah, it kind of went on through there.
3: Kind of similar for me though. I think, and for a lot of people, uh, mm-hmm. Grinder is... The starting point. <laughs> yeah, you can call it a starting point. I was going to call it a perfect tool for to meet people in any kind of environment, any kind of sense.
2: Especially back then, you could meet a lot of people platonically through there at that time, for me anyway.
3: Mm. What do you mean exactly?
2: Grindr is mostly known for hookups. Yeah. But I feel like at the time, I made quite a lot of friends on there. Okay. From my experience anyway.
3: No, yeah, from, from my experience when I use when I started using Grindr, um I was already out from from Venezuela. I was in so I didn't move here directly, but I mm-hmm. was in Prague. And I started using Grindr in Prague because I didn't know anything about Grindr before. <clears throat> so I started meeting and hooking up with people uh from that I met in Grindr and then that kind of opened the way to a new community of People, not only that the ones that use grinder, mm-hmm. but the ones that I was realizing out uh, their existence mm-hmm. thanks to the people that I was meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, there's there is one guy that I met in practice. I remember it because it's my first grinder guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was it was just a normal experience when it comes to sex. But I think it makes me realize that not all the gay people was as my friends were in venezuela or my partner was in venezuela when i had Mm -hmm. those experiences as well Mm -hmm. so it makes me of course expand the idea of oh so there's something else we are Mm -hmm. not only like this we also have i can also find people that had my hobbies i can also people Mm -hmm. that that find my 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 taste Mm -hmm. um that they they like the same experiences as me so this is nice this is because there's something really weird. I used to, when I was younger, I used to have the, the misconception of thinking and that, okay, so I relate with gays when I want to have a relationship with them, mm-hmm. but then I relate with straight people when I, when I want to have a friend. Okay. That was such a crazy misconception okay. now that I come back to that thought.
2: But do you know what? I get it because... Oh, really? No, I get it because at the time, I didn't even... Well, when I started, I didn't even think about making gay friends. That wasn't even, like, my thought. Mm. My thought was... Before then, I never really had a sexual experience. Like, I probably kissed, like, two girls that I called my girlfriends in school, quote-unquote. No, I never really had any sexual experience. So that was me opening up to that as well. So... And I think for quite a few gays not even gays just queer people in general because i feel like being queer a huge part of it is discovering your sexuality and with me i kind of just put the two together like me discovering who i was as a queer person Mm -hmm. and me discovering through myself as a person that is now sexually active yeah and it's only until later when i met a few different people it's like okay i can actually make gay friends
3: yeah yeah for me it was very different because i start interesting on having real friends Mm -hmm. after i have a broke up with a broke up do you call it um a breakup yeah with someone uh that i was having a relationship here yeah and then i think because of the fact that of course i didn't want to deal with another relationship right away i started looking for not looking but in, unconsciously look uh, reaching to people who were looking as well for friends i guess mm-hmm. yes i start reaching to people automatically because i start going out by myself uh mm-hmm. to the to bars or to clubs even though that the first time was crazy but uh, i start I got, I got used to it mm-hmm. and i realized how easy it was to meet people uh, when you go out by yourself because everyone is just approach you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that builds on me a confidence to, uh, start me reaching to the people that I wanted to reach on the sense of friendships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started slowly building a criteria of the things that I was looking for, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to friendships. So I think that break up, I'm not sure if I'm using the right term, no. it's, um, it helped me to give time to myself to build the community that i want that's good
2: i only started really making queer friends after my first relationship Mm
3: -hmm.
2: it was pretty it was like a year maybe just over a year after i discovered that you know i was queer and it kind of showed me a lot about myself And it kind of made me more comfortable in myself as well because I would go out with them, hold hands and kind of just build up that courage to be myself, especially in public. And this was both of our first relationships, so it was kind of like doing it together. It wasn't the best relationship, but it did open me up to the world Mm. of being gay and stuff. And from there, once I met one... Then he introduced me to more people and they would introduce me to more people. And it kind of formed my community in a way. Even now it's still very strong. Not even just in the world of being gay or queer, just life in general. Yeah, And it makes it easier because you
3: it's your want yeah it's, yes, it's your, your support, support. Yeah, yeah yeah
2: yeah and you can really relate to them mm-hmm. i think those are the people you probably would really relate to the most yeah yeah and i i really needed that especially after my first relationship i needed that support because yeah from there i kind of lost not lost support but kind of lost myself okay finding a community is is, is mm. very important it is yeah Because I know...
3: Do you think... Yeah, tell
2: me. No, I was just going to say, I know it's hard because sometimes maybe family won't support you or maybe your past friends won't support you that, you know, that were straight or whatever. Yeah. So having them there really does.
3: So in a sense, we kind of have in common the fact that when we were broken, Mm -hmm. we were reaching for disconnections. We're reaching for, to be close to someone else in the in community sense or in the friendship sense.
2: It is important to have um, those platonic people um, in your life because they really ground you and you can really just experience and grow with them. You yeah. Know? But yeah, it was actually really good talking to you. Yeah, Considering that we just met. <laughs> true, true. So, is there going to be a second date? It's a bit cringe to ask for that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And on that note...
0: (laughs) Well, this took a wholesome turn. They sound like they have some great friends, and that's one good thing that comes from all the failures in dating and sex. Often you end up with friends. We love a good date, but you know what else we love? Going home after a bad date and immediately sending out 15 voice notes, updating three separate group chats, and setting up a Zoom call with your friends to discuss exactly how bad it was. Hmm. So what's my takeaway after healing all these experiences and thinking through mine? In Polish, I'd say... czy For you non-Polish speakers, it's an expression meaning one doesn't know whether to laugh or cry. It's good to have a little cry. It's always important to acknowledge the bad and the painful, find the strength in your vulnerability, keep dating, keep being yourself, because the right people will appreciate it and cherish you. Call your friends, have a laugh, look back at yourself and go, well that was a little dramatic, wasn't it? And whatever it was, one day you'll get over it, and it'll make a great story. You see, I work in theatre. Hmm, I think one day I'll have to make a show about my life. I'm Radka Ngechne. Thank you for listening to my episode of Queer Roots and Roots. Stories of where we come from and how we move in the world today. Those us
2: Queer Roots and Roots is produced for The Love Tank by Art Nail. Produced and edited and engineered by Tash Walker and Adam Smith. The assistant producers are Saqib Afzal, Jose Carlos Mejia, Amar Deep Singh Dillon, Chase Edwards, Stanley Iyanu and Raj Konichna. Music by Edoy. creative design and artwork by Richard Kohoji. Recorded at Pirate Studios in Dulston and Hackney Wick, East London. Executive producers Mark Thompson and Dale Taylor-Gentles.
6: That's me.